I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. It's such an honour to be here and I'd just like to say that when I'm not playing Xbox with my mate Thor, I really like to listen to my favourite podcast, Pop Culture Pasta. Hey Doug! Doug! Oh, that's right, Doug's dead. Pop Culture Pasta So Cody, I, uh, <clears throat> I went to see Mission Impossible last night. That sounds intense. It actually is intense. Uh, it's one of those movies where uh, you walk out afterwards and you, and you say or feel like, well, that didn't feel like two and a half hours because it's just always moving. That does sound like a good Mission Impossible movie. I'll give this for Tom Cruise and the people he makes movies with. Uh, with this movie, uh, with Top Gun, the Top Gun movie, and then this movie, he still has this kind of finger on the pulse for what people that go to movies want to see. You know? So I had this discussion with some family members. And I'm like, you know, honestly, like since he's made it big, I don't know if Tom Cruise has really been in a bad movie. He's been in some interesting choices, but yet I always leave saying, uh, he did good. Yeah, like, oh, well, I'm never like, oh my goodness, this guy's amazing, or holy cannoli, this guy was garbage. It's always, oh, he was good. And, like, the movies are, oh, they're good. Yeah, well, that, this dude's getting the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award at the Oscars at some point. And when he dies, on the video they'll play at the Oscars... It'll show him running a lot. <laughs> I, and there is something about it. Like, I'm not even joking. There's something about watching him run that makes you want to run. He's like, oh, this is Vanilla Sky. Let me run. <laughs> oh, there's a mission that's impossible. Let me run. All the impossible missions. Um, but he looks great. And, and it's believable, man. I'm, and, like, the, look, the best part about a movie like that is we, when you go to that movie, look, I haven't seen a Mission Impossible since, like, the second one. I think I watched the first two. I remember them being good movies. But when the next ones came out, I didn't really feel the need. I don't know. Wherever I was at at the time, I was like, eh, you know what? I can miss it. It's not a big deal. You can. <laughs> um and then this one, I was, I was like, well, we'll go see it. We'll see what happens. I, I don't know if I need to know because I was aware that there were returning characters in this movie that have been Simon in several Pegg. of them. Yeah. Simon Pegg's great. Ving Rom's nice to see him again. Hey, you're still alive. But no, like, no, you don't need to see, you don't need to see any of the other movies to understand this one. It would, it would enhance your viewing experience because these characters the the movie doesn't make a point of giving you expositing a lot of backstory through you know through the uh, the script or anything like that, but um, it would enhance your thing if you have seen these characters you know interact before. Uh, but it doesn't need it. And Tom Cruise is great. And here's another thing: Isai Morales, who of La Bamba, yeah, he looks fantastic. <laughs> What are these old people dipping themselves in the river sticks? What's happening? Mm. Isai Morales at 60 years old looks great. Way also, to go. Also, where's he been? Um, 
waiting for Tom Cruise to call. <laughs> How do you go from not being in anything for however many years to like, I'm the bad guy in the new Mission Impossible movie? Uh, is, is Are him and Tom Cruise besties or something? Maybe. Every time he appeared, I was like, hey, it's Eastside Morales. And also, what's he doing here? <laughs> Um, but he's great. I don't want to, you know, I don't mean to take anything away from him. He was great in the movie. Yeah. I I don't know if he's done anything in between now and La Bamba. Yeah. Probably yeah. has. Just has been off our radar. So anyways, like I'm, I'm giving it, a, I'll give it a solid eight. This turned into a mini review. And uh, I would give the new Mission Impossible movie a solid eight. Palm Clementif, who played Mantis in the Guardians movies. She's great as a bad, bad guy in this movie. That's why my friend Jimmy Gunn is bringing her to D.C. Oh, yes, your friend Jimmy. Yes. Is, is he really? Did he, he? Has he already said that? He said that him and Palm have had talks about characters she could play in D.C. Yeah, honestly, she was so ingrained in my brain as Mantis that if I'd have heard that yesterday, I'd have been like, oh, okay, well, maybe. But then after seeing her in this... I, I will I will guess that most people that have even seen Guardians of the Galaxy and that go see Mission Impossible will not even register that it's her. You know, she's wearing a lot of makeup and stuff in the Guardians movies to make her look like an alien. So there's that. But also, she's just the complete opposite, you know, just personality-wise and character-wise in this movie. And it, I mean, it works. She's, wow, she's really talented. My friend Jimmy doesn't choose untalented oh people. <laughs> your friend, your friend. <laughs> I forget, you know, you're Mr. Hollywood. Yeah. Um, anyways, go see it. It won't be a waste of money. It's, it's good fun. I'll take your word for it. And the action sequences, as always, are bonkers and great. And every time you're watching one, you're like, he did that stunt himself, didn't he? I just want to know why he thinks it's cool to litter a motorcycle off a cliff. Eh, well, you know, it's the Austrian Alps. There was no one down there, probably. <laughs> um, okay, this is Pop Culture Pastor. Welcome. My name's Dave. Cody's here. I am. And uh, we're here to talk about pop culture, because that's what we do. That's what we love. And mostly, uh, we like to talk about it and. Uh, so that you, the listener, can join our social media pages and have conversations with us. And then we also like to go to comic conventions and have people who listen to the pod come find us. And we get that conversations and community with y'all, all while, you know, meeting more people at comic conventions. And that, that's really what we're about. We're about you. We love you, the listeners and the people in our community. Hearts and stuff. <laughs> yes. Man, Cody, you're all uh, you're all touchy feely this morning. Too touchy feely. Um, okay. So uh, first thing we always talk about is news, and I guess we have to talk about the 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 actor strike. The actors, the writers. Well, we knew the writers were already striking. Everyone and their mom is on strike. And we hadn't talked a lot about the writers, although I think it got mentioned a few times in our either in the radio pod or in our big pod. Um, but let's just let's just set the stage here. Uh, last Friday, the SAG AFTRA. Do you know what AFTRA means? 
I don't know either. SAG is Screen Actors Guild. Uh, A union representing about 160,000 Hollywood actors officially went on strike after failing to reach a deal with Hollywood's biggest studios. Them not reaching a deal is the most... Once you've heard some of these quotes from these studio dudes, and it's always dudes. It is. Look at you, Bob Iger. Once you hear these quotes from them, you understand why they didn't come to a deal. AFTRA stands for American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. That's uh, enlightening, actually. Radio's in there. We are on strike. No, we are not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Hollywood actors and writers are on strike, says this article in CNN, uh, for the first time in more than 60 years, bringing most film and television productions to a halt. Among other demands, actors on strike are calling for increased pay, a rethinking of residuals, which we'll get to that here in a little bit, Mm. which union members say has significantly diminished amid the rise of streaming services. Uh, If you don't know what we're talking about, residuals are financial compensation paid out to actors whenever TV shows or movies that they're in are replayed. Royalties. Um, This union has 160,000 members. Did you know that? Do you know it was that big? We are not a part of it. I, I think the struggle I have when I hear about this, and I think this this is a struggle. If you go on Twitter, you'll see a lot of people who are struggling with this is you forget how many people are in this and you think of just like, you know, Tom Hanks, uh, George Clooney. You think of these dudes who are Tom Cruise, super millionaires, right? Like Tom Cruise. And you forget that like, no, they're not just representing these guys. They're representing like your, your struggling actors too. And there's probably a lot more of them. And so for every Meryl Streep or Matt Damon, there's probably a a thousand struggling actors who have been in a show, maybe as a side character, and they need that residual money, right? Um, I mean, literally, this strike has reminded me that Fran Drescher existed and exists. Yeah, what's the the nanny? Hey, look, she still got work. She does. Now she's working for her fellow actors. She's the president of SAG AFTRA. So uh this was a number that surprised me. What what do you think the minimum wage is in California? I mean, it's gotta be pretty high, right? Well, I would think it'd be above the national minimum. Yeah. So, well, they wanted to raise it to like 20 bucks. Am I wrong? In that California, right. 20 bucks an hour because the cost of living is so high in California. Here, here is this is from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is reported as the average pay for California actors in 2022. You ready for this? Okay. 27 bucks an hour. That seems pretty low. That's like there's construction workers in California making well above that for sure. So, I would say that sounds low, but then I would also think there's so many, like, below Hallmark movies being made. Like, if Hallmark is, like, the bottom of your barrel of, like, this has some potential, there's, like, umpteen thousand movies being made that are beneath that. And so... Like, yeah, I imagine some people get paid in, like, 
patty melts and expired Pizza Hut coupons. I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say like, oh, but there's a lot more content being made now. So there have to be pros and cons with streaming. Mm -hmm. The pro is, yes, there has to be way more content being made now. Um, so there, there's more jobs. You know, if I was thinking, there's a girl that went to our high school who's like a, a an actress. She's been in commercials and some, some of those streaming shows, like under the radar streamers, not like Netflix or anything like that. Uh, but I should have reached out to her. I haven't talked to her in years, but I wonder if she'd like come on for 10 minutes and talk to us about like what it's like to be a small, you know, a smaller actor who someone who gets parts, but isn't like on that scale of like on movie screens every other week. Mm, yeah. Um, I don't know. We, <laughs> I don't really know her. I went to a high school of 1800 kids. So she'd probably be like, who are you? <laughs> I remember you. We sat next to each other on the bus one time. On a field trip, anyways. <laughs> Besties for life. No, she probably doesn't remember. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's hard for us to keep in mind not the the multimillionaire actors. Uh, here is Kelly Stewart. This was a quote she gave. Uh, Kelly Stewart is an actress who's done it for more than twenty years. Has appeared on the television series All American and Blackish. You ever okay. watch Blackish? Uh, and she said that performers traditionally don't get to take home the number that appears as their rate. She says you don't get to keep it all. When you get a paycheck, you have to pay taxes, which, okay, everyone else pays taxes. That's fine. But here's what you don't know. They have to pay all these commissions. So for she says, for me, that would include my agent, my manager, and a lawyer that negotiates your deals. So right away, when you're giving a quote for what you're going to get paid, you already know that's really going to be, this is after taxes, 35% less, mm -hmm. give or take. Now that's, okay, imagine your taxes coming out of your check, and then imagine another 35% coming off. I mean, that's also a pretty sizable chunk. And yeah, okay, that's... Like you can see if you're not Dwayne the Rock Johnson that this is like this is important and blood money for them probably. Um I keep thinking of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. You know, they did that interview recently we talked about where they they sold Goodwill Hunting the script or whatever and got that movie made and they lived off of like a hundred thousand dollars. And then it, it lasted them like six months because they got, you know, they they lived be a little beyond their means because they were young. Mm. But yeah, this is this is all wild. And when you read a little bit about this, I think you can see why they're striking and it makes more sense to you. Because if you just think about it in the terms of the big guys and gals, then. Um, but the one thing that I think that has come to light from all this is... Um, like how bad upper management slash presidents of these big studios mm -hmm. look and or are coming across. Um, like I said, Bob Iger before, because he literally said, well, we'll wait it out until they start to lose their uh their rentals or miss a house payment or two and they'll be willing to settle. 
<laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was bad. Oh, yeah. He definitely, like, the. I mean, you can think that, but, like, say that out loud, eek. Like, Bob Iger is getting paid millions of dollars a year. Oh, yeah. To be an executive. Like, let's just be honest. Do you think he's worth that much to Disney? Is he really that good at his job? Like, Disney is a dumpster fire right now. An absolute dumpster fire. And he was part of that. They He left. They kicked him out and hired someone else. And then he came back. Mm-hmm. They, like, begged for him to come back. But not, nothing's really changed since he's been back in their situation. They're still struggling. Nine of their last ten, like in their last ten movies, they've lost a billion dollars. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, I will say, like, there's a chance you bring in a guy like Bob Iger for events such as this. Mm, okay, I could see that. That like, oh. He doesn't care about uh, the repercussions of what this does to the actors and the writers. He's going to make it so it's studio friendly. Him and his friends that are like-minded, in which, I mean, you always are about like, well, we got to keep this uh, ship afloat, and the easiest way is to keep things the way they're going so when Iger came back as CEO in November of 2022, he agreed to an annual base salary of $1 million with a potential bonus of $2 million. And it also included stock awards from Disney totaling $25 million. That's nice. But like, here's my point is you could compare that. Someone else, someone could say, well, Dave, Tom Cruise made $100 million to be in Top Gun Maverick. I was like, yeah, but if that movie doesn't have Tom Cruise, it's not Top Gun Maverick. Like, he's essential to the identity and the success of the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, Is Bob Iger essential to the identity and success of Disney? Probably not. Like, I would say no. Any smart dude. Like, look, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, and I don't know anything about the, the entertainment industry, but I'm a smart guy. Disney, you could hire me for half of what Bob Iger makes, and I guarantee I wouldn't fail. Okay, mm. I'm 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 smart enough. I'm, I'm street smart. I can pick up things quick, and I'm a good uh, I'm a good leader in a sense of I understand it's a lot of it's about relationship, about about getting people that want to work for you, and if you surround yourself with the right team, you don't have to know anything about what you're leading people into. That's the crazy thing about it. Is it, I'm just saying, there's a lot of people like that out there. Dave is the Ted Lasso that Disney's needing. Exactly. Well, Ted Lasso is is a, a show that's meant to be funny and entertaining, but there's something true about the way Ted Lasso leads. Like he, he doesn't have to know anything about soccer to be a great coach. Mm. He doesn't have to. He can surround himself with people who know soccer. I, I guess that's my point. It's like, these CEOs like Bob Iger talking this big game and being like, yeah, once they lose their houses, like, dude, you're talking about people. Oh, yeah. Is this supposed to inspire like people to your side? No, it's not. He's just being like, hey, look at me. I'm awesome. I don't have to worry about losing my house. 
Well, why not, Bob? Disney's lost a billion dollars in their last 10 movies. Why aren't we talking about you losing your house? Why, why is it about, uh, I don't know. This stuff's annoying to me. Um, it's fascinating to me. It's it's that as well. Um, and there there's so many things that are coming out, and so many things that I had wondered about for the past maybe three to five years, and yeah, it's amazing that like some of that's coming to fruition. Netflix's co CEOs. Netflix has co CEOs. Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters made 50 million and 28 million respectively in 2022. Like what is their, what is their job on the day to day? It's a good question. Are they worth that much? We have this conversation. You know what other, other area of American life inspires this sort of talk sports. Mm. Is LeBron James really worth this much money? Is Patrick Mahomes really worth this much money? Well, yeah. They're they're demonstrably good at what they do and and help their brand, right? We can see it. It's it's literally on display for you to see how much they help. I don't know how much these CEOs demonstrably help their brand. That's what I'm trying to say. Why is the guy, the CEO for Netflix, making $50 million a year? That's an absurd amount of money. Because he's running the show. <sighs> I guess. Or is he surrounded by people who are running the show? He's like, a good look, manager of people. Okay. Maybe. And there is value in that. I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't value in that. I'm just, these guys are talking a big game right now. Like the actors are just, they're trying to paint a picture that the actors are overpaid babies. And I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at the numbers and it just doesn't bear that out. Cody, it doesn't bear that out. Mandy Moore, you know who Mandy Moore is? Um, Famous singer yeah, and she actress. She started off as a singer. It's, I'd say she's more actress now. And uh, she was in This Is Us. That was her big thing. And she made headlines yesterday while picketing outside Disney in Burbank, California. Um, and she talked to the Hollywood Reporter. And she said this is a the residual is, issue is a huge issue. So the residuals, as we said, is the, the money the actors make when the something they're in reappears on something. So on streaming. So a lot of this has to do with streaming. She says this quote, we're in incredibly fortunate positions as working actors. Okay. So she admits she's blessed. Uh, we're incredibly fortunate. We've been on shows that found tremendous success in one way or another, but many actors in our position for years before us were able to live off residuals. So what she's saying is, say she never got another job like This Is Us. Yeah. Which, like, look, unless you're, I just talked about how Esai Morales, I haven't seen him in years. Now he's in the Mission Impossible movie. I'm assuming because he has a friendship with Tom Cruise. Like, I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm I, when, I, when I saw Esai Morales was in the new Mission Impossible movie, and I registered that he hasn't been in anything for a long time that I remember, and now he's in this huge blockbuster movie that I know Tom Cruise has a lot of control of. I thought, oh, he must be boys with Tom Cruise. Um, but he's a good example of, like, what if he didn't get that job? What's he been living off of for the last however many years? 
And they, so actors need to be able to probably live off residuals because again, they've devoted their life to this. They, like when you're 45 years old, you don't go back to college to learn something else. If you know, your acting jobs dry up. I mean, I suppose you could, that would be painful, but if it's what you know, and it's what you do, you keep trying to get acting jobs. But what if you don't get them more Mandy Moore said she received this is nuts for this is us. Like this is a hit show. It's one of the defining TV shows of the last 10 years. Haven't watched it. It's okay. You cry a lot, but if, even if it's not your bag, you understand and know that it's one of the defining shows of the last 10 years. She received very tiny, like 81 cent checks <laughs> from the streaming residuals on Hulu in 2017. Uh, I was talking with my business manager, she said, who said he's received residual for a penny and two pennies. Like, that's not even worth the paper the check's printed on. What? What? So she's out there on the picket line, Mandy Moore. And like, look, yeah, Mandy Moore was a pop singer and probably had a million dollars by the time she was 18. Yeah. But she's out on the picket line. Um. So this... Streaming has done a couple things. Uh, it has messed with the royalties or residuals, um, but like it also did away with for a while. Like the DVD Blu-ray market was huge. Like, oh, I gotta go out and buy this movie out on DVD and Blu-ray, or I gotta go out and buy this TV show even on DVD and Blu-ray, and everyone had the box sets of The Office and The Chappelle Show and random other shows, and now you don't have that. Um, not only does this affect, like, uh, also have an effect on royalties and residuals because you're not having people buy your show anymore, um, but it also ruins, like, the movie's director cut. Because, like, that's not streamed. You actually have to pay for that special edition, even if you want to, like, own it in the cloud. Um, that's a good point, by the way. Uh, there's several things about DVDs that I miss, one of which was the commentary track, mm -hmm. which was amazing. And there's no way to access those now unless you pay more money. And the commentary tracks on shows were actually quite good. Yeah, they were fascinating. And so... I'll never know what Mandy Moore thinks about season one, episode three. I'll mm -hmm. never know. A lot of people do podcasts now after the fact. So Smallville, the television show, they're going episode, the stars of that show are going episode by episode and talking about the behind the scenes stuff and just what it was like to be there and make that. But now you had to wait 20 years for it. Pam and Angela from The Office are doing the same thing. Yeah. So you can get that, but it's just in a different thing. And... They're the ones that get to make the money off it. So in our, this isn't the first time this has happened in our lifetime. I'm glad you brought that up with the DVDs. This isn't the first time this has happened in our lifetime. If you remember back in the 2000s, this happened. They went on strike. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the thing back then was about residuals from, it's not streaming, but DVDs. Mm -hmm. How How are they getting compensated for the residuals for when the, the DVD sales and stuff like that, because that was a, this seems to be, okay, look, 
it seems to be a pattern. <laughs> the corporate structure in capitalism, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna sound, I'm gonna sound like I'm very West Coast hippie-ish right now, because I'm gonna rail on capitalism for a second. And then don't get me wrong, as a history major, capitalism is the best way we found so far to equalize the stakes. And so everyone's got at least a shot at becoming whatever it is they want to be, right? I'm not here to bomb on capitalism. However, I the, the problem with capitalism is that over time, the corporate entities get too much strength and power, right? We, we you become almost like an oligarchy where the the you know the 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 money still where the money ends up is where the the power comes from and these corporate structures what's really bad for a corporation is they have a hard time being feeling entities meaning they don't care about their employees who are struggling to make it through every day financially right? They just don't care. They're just a nameless face. Um, and so this, you can see this pattern over time where the problem is these are the actors getting what they deserve from the residuals, which mm. just from our society, this is work they've done. You're making money off of work they've done. They deserve a piece of that pie. Is is that where you are? Is that how you feel? Like what? I'm asking you right now. What side are you on, Cody? <laughs> um, I definitely think that the structuring of payouts can definitely be reshaped, and that that way, writers, um, background actors, even your lower card actors. Are making enough that it's a livable uh, wage that they're not having to worry about losing their home like Bob Iger wants them to. Um, but, um, like, I'm conflicted <clears throat> on this just because I know, like, there's going to be some rough stretches where there's nothing new coming out. <laughs> yeah. So we have to balance this with the idea of also, oh man, <laughs> there goes all the content, right? Because yeah. here we are doing a podcast on pop culture where, Hey, uh, we have to come up with content. We have to, you know, talk about, think about what we want to talk about on these shows. And obviously we cover a lot of movies and TV shows. That's what we do. And so, yeah, it's hard not to look at this from our point of view and be like, oh, great. Um, one more thing about the actors, and then I'll move on. Sweet. We don't think about the normal stuff about life uh, because we th assume they're all actors making millions of dollars, which they're not. We've already talked about that. Uh, but you should be interested in the money that even the bigger actors are making mm -hmm. and that it's fair because of this they're in a union so there is money that is percentage based that they have to contribute into the system for things like health insurance for them all right mm -hmm. so to qualify for health insurance in the screen actors guild you have to make twenty six thousand dollars that year how many of those hundred and sixty thousand actors aren't even making that that's a good point. How many of those 160,000 actors are barely making that and need that health insurance? Thank you, Tom Cruise, for 
getting paid a hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, right. So like, even if you're, you're saying, well, those big actors don't need all that money. Just know that like what we've already heard is that remember 35% after taxes is going into commissions and stuff. But then there's part of that money that goes into the union for things like health insurance and stuff. Because like, as you might have guessed, when you get paid for a movie, it's not like some of our jobs where insurance is just included. Which is nice when it is. It is nice. Um, here, here's something interesting, though. It has to do with the strike. The Chosen. You know The Chosen? I do know The Chosen. A series based on you know, the life of Jesus, the people around him, his, or his ministry, more importantly. Uh, dramatized version. Yeah. Yeah, it's based, it would be based on a true story. That would be the byline, right? Yes. That way you know you're getting a dramatized version. It's not, these are, it was not like, a, what is it, cops or law and order? These are based on actual events. Yeah. <laughs> um, spoilers. Pete and Matthew and the gang aren't necessarily saying all the lines that are in the show. Yeah, that's okay. As pastors, I think I'm I'm okay with The Chosen. As long as you understand, hey, it's not the Bible. Yes. But hey, entertainment's entertainment is entertainment. It is. Pop culture, we tell stories because we love stories. And hey, Jesus liked to tell stories. And was a part of the greatest story ever told. They resumed filming, The Chosen has, after receiving a rare exemption from the ongoing SAG after actor strike. Uh, they put out this update on Twitter. Important update from Dallas on the Screen Actors Guild award, the uh, Screen Actors Guild strike, which starts tonight. Uh, they have, uh, unfortunately, despite the requested work we did on our end, an exemption for us will not be granted in time to avoid a shutdown. We'll, we will do a little filming of tomorrow and everything. That doesn't require our, our cast. And then they updated it. That was the original thing. They updated it and they said, great news. We just received word from SAG that we've been approved for a waiver. We'll continue shooting on Monday. Now, I don't understand. Why? Why, why can the Chosen continue so, going on? Do you know? Do you understand this? I haven't looked too much into it, but A24, uh, which does a lot of independent scary movies, mm -hmm. um, a couple of their works got exempted to continue shooting. I don't know if you had to have like a certain percentage of your uh, like project done or if you had like if this was going to be detrimental to your financial ability to make uh, productions in the future. Yeah. Um, and also I wonder if like those companies that got exemptions – if they will have to like put like pro union things like out on their social medias, like saying, Hey, we stand with you. Um, and we are lobbying for you. Yeah. So apparently it has to do with angel studios who puts out the chosen. Uh, they've also been highly successful in the last few weeks with uh, the sound of freedom the sound of freedom movie um they're the same studio slightly controversial that movie but neither here nor there yeah, it's not, made some money we're not here to talk about that 
But yeah, just know Cody and I have lots of thoughts about the sound of freedom. Um, good and bad. There's good, as with everything, there's pros and cons. Uh, but the studio that produces The Chosen, Angel Studios, is not directly affiliated with the AMPTP, which is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So they fall outside that umbrella. They are an independent studio. Uh, despite some seasons of The Chosen having distribution deals with companies like Lionsgate, but as The Chosen is an independent production through Angel Studios, this article I'm reading from Screen Rant says it does make sense why SAG would grant them an exemption. So for the same reasons uh, that it's unlikely that a uh, production like The Last of Us or Stranger Things, which we're both filming for their future seasons and had to shut down, they would not be granted a waiver because they're from a, a big studio that's affiliated. Angel Studios is just not affiliated. It's an independent entity because, and that's why they struggle so much. They're crowdfunded. A lot of the chosen is crowdfunded. So I did see someone post last night um, and like they contribute to, I don't know if it's Screen Rant or one of those. And they said, because they used A24, because A24 got the exemption as well. Um, and they were like, A24 has gotten an exemption for two of their movies um, and said that they will uh, not pursue the rest for now. Um, it's amazing how this smaller independent company is following the guidelines set by SAG-AFTRA and the big motion picture companies are struggling with compliance. Wow. Wow. Interesting. It's all, it all is quite fascinating. Yes. But I am bummed that it does mean that we're going to have a hole in content at some point from all this. Cody will be doing more reading. <laughs> we'll catch up on some of those streaming shows we haven't watched. Um, we have to talk about one more thing, Cody. Yeah. Before we get to our main subject. Jimmy Cameron. JC. He, he talks. Stop it. There's only one JC, man. Shazé. Uh, Jimmy Cameron has weighed in again on the public consciousness. This time on AI. As computer programming continues to become more sophisticated and artificial intelligence takes a bigger and bigger chunk of our national consciousness uh, James Cameron had thoughts and it's also, by the way, AI is a big component in this right in the writers and actors strike. It is because there is some fear that it could take some jobs. Um, literally my friend, Bob Iger again, <laughs> your friend, Bob, <laughs> he said something along the lines of he wants to get like all the background actors do like the scanning the full body scanning and then be able to CGI them in for a day's pay. Wow. Uh, and like, it's a one-time payment, but they have the full rights to use that body scan whenever and however. Don't do it. Don't and let them so, do that. A day's pay, a day's pay to use my likeness. However you want. No, sir. No, sir. Come on. 
Why would he even say that? That's you know he knows that's ridiculous. Also, don't get too excited because that CGI ain't that great. It's not yet. Like, listen, did you watch the Flash? But it's coming. That ain't it, bro. It's coming. Um. So Jimmy Cameron. It's always it's funny when James Cameron says something too in the media. Like these. I think at this point, people are just wanting to interview him because they know he's going to say something braggadocious and crazy. And condescending. And condescending. And so, because I keep thinking, like, why do people keep interviewing this dude? <laughs> what is he doing right now that would warrant an interview? Avatar 2 has gone. It's, it's done its thing. Um, it's bananas that he has, like, two of the, like, top four grossing movies of all time. I mean, like, look, I'm not trying to take anything from Jimmy. He's obviously accomplished. We'll give, we'll give the credit where the credit is due. But when he comes on with quotes like this, I have a hard time taking him seriously. I warned you guys back in 1984, you didn't listen. Yeah. That's, that's how I imagine he said it. I warned you guys. What he's talking about is he was the director of the Terminator and co-wrote the Terminator he with did. Arnold Schwarzenegger about machines that take over the earth. Uh, and, he knew it. And so Jimmy Cameron is like putting this in your, in front of your face and saying, look, this was basically a documentary. It was. No, it wasn't. It is. He was making entertainment. This dude is carrying on like he was some leading scientist who tried to warn the earth. Like, bro, you made a movie. Um, the thing is, so James isn't the only one that has come out and said these things. Stevie Spielberg. Like, Evan, I don't even remember who he told. I bet he was less condescending when he said it. He was. Because uh, he's been saying this for like 20 years. He's like, literally... CGI is going to replace a ton of actors and it's not going to be for the best. And no, of course not. We've already been over this with like the flash with, yes. in our reviews. So just know James Cameron and Stevie Spielberg have their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world around us. Well, I like Steven Spielberg, so I'll give no, I like, okay. I want the best for James Cameron too. I don't I don't dislike James. I just wish he wouldn't be so know-it-all-ish. <laughs> uh, he said, he went on to say, I think the weaponization of AI is the biggest danger. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, military use. Okay, but like how? Like how? I don't even understand what that means. Like how would the military use AI and that would be dangerous? They already have. Okay, but right, but like how? I'm saying specifically no, no, how? Well, like, so, well they're going to use no, it. They're going to kill a lot of no, people. Like, well, military's already killed there, a lot of there's people. There's a story that dropped within the past month about like they had an AI uh, drone, like have the computer control the drone, and then it did not pull off and like it killed civilians. Okay, but and my point so, is, here's my point. Here's my, my comeback to that. Yeah, our, we have drones that kill civilians every day. I'm sure of it. Yes. So what is your point? My point is that, like, we have someone that we can easily point the finger and blame <laughs> when there's a person behind the joystick. Yeah. But if there's not a person behind the joystick and it seemingly is making its own decisions, eek. Yeah. 
here, here's my problem with the whole AI thing. My daughter actually, uh, so I went and saw Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, the bad guy in the movie, it essentially is an AI. Okay. Spoilers. No, nah, you can tell that from the commercials. Like that's not a real big spoiler. I haven't watched the commercials. Okay. Well, it shouldn't surprise you that that the the big bad. There's several human big bads too, but the big big bad is a artificial intelligence program, right? Mm. Um. My my daughter, my oldest daughter, is like AI kind of scares me, and she of course puts it in the context of all these movies. <laughs> Terminator is a true story. And and I just want to ease your mind if you're afraid of AI. If you too are like my oldest daughter and you're like, AI kind of scares me. In all of these Hollywood, uh, you know, obs- things where AI is the bad guy at some point. Do you know what the common thread is? What's the common thread? The common thread is that at some point the artificial intelli- intelligence gains sentience. It becomes sentient, sentient life, which means it's really, truly alive. That's a trope in, in Hollywood things. You don't have to worry about that. I know that. You know why, Cody? Because there's only one thing that gives life. It's the same reason there's no aliens. I said what I said. He said what he <laughs> said. It's the same reason AI cannot gain sentience. AI can have all the data in all the world, all the, all the shreds of data we've ever created. But at the end of the day, that's all it is, is a collection of data. And it can act on that data that we fed it. But the, the whole, every Hollywood flick that turns AI into the bad guy, it always involves it gaining sentience. And that's just not going to happen. I am holding off my judgment on the, Dangers of AI until I watch The Creator, starring John David Washington. That does look very good. I am willing to suspend that disbelief, by the way, to enjoy a movie. I, so AI gaining sentience is one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> I love that trope. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. That's James Cameron on. warned you. We had some Jimmy. We had some big news to talk about. And yeah, James Jimmy warned you all. He did. Quit being irresponsible and listen to James Cameron more. <laughs> James Cameron says James Cameron is the is the best way to stay alive listening to James. Listen to me more he says. Anyways, that's enough about James. We'll be back to talk about our main subject, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. I've been waiting for this. We'll be right back. something uh, for the first time here on pop culture pastor and we're calling it pop culture pastor it's a legend show right the legends yeah and and basically what we want legends a legend show to be was where we pick someone in pop culture that has like defined pop culture in some way mm. for, at least for us it can be it could be very um subjective uh, but th- I think uh, as well, we can objectively say that some of these guys, we gals, guys and gals, we, we may pick 
have defined pop culture in an objective way for lots of people, for the industries that they represent. James Cameron. Not James Cameron. <laughs> okay, probably James Cameron, but I don't want to do a legend show on James Cameron. We talk about him too much as it is already. Um, but no, this, the point of this is, is in, in all seriousness, James Cameron would probably be a worthy person to do a legend show on. We could talk about his effects on the industry of pop culture. Uh, also, how many times he saved the world and we, we should have listened to him. So many. Uh, but today we're going to talk about, I think, one of both of our favorites. He's may- up there. And maybe even geek geek uh, some of the geeks favorites the geeks of the round table uh we're talking about today's sylvester stallone sly hey yo cody you like my movies yes yeah (laughs) uh this is also a cheap attempt for dave to be able to do his very average sylvester stallone impression so you're welcome for that um I mean, if you haven't attempted a Sylvester Stallone impression <laughs> in your life, I don't know what you've been doing. Do you know he's 77 years old? 77. He looks great. You mean 77 years young. I I do mean that. He He's wonderful. Uh, 77 years young, Sylvester Stallone. I just want to share a little bit right off the bat about, and then I'll let you share whatever you want to share before we get into like the real stuff of like how we think he changed pop culture. Um, but I just want to give my personal memories because uh, they're so important and like, you know, kind of seminal to my love of pop culture. Um, I've talked about some at some length on the show before about how my parents got divorced when I was young. They were young, you know, so like I don't have, I know some people can get this like bitterness towards their parents like when that thing when your family breaks up or whatever i i don't know that i ever had that um but i did really want like as much of my dad as i could get and because he was young had some maturing to do as well and i think he would admit this this isn't like i'm not insulting him on my pod i love my dad um but because they were so young it took them a while to like really figure out how to do relationship with their son, me, Mm. Um, my dad, I'd go see him like every other weekend, I think. And even then in those moments, he was hard for me to connect with. He was always so busy. That's what I remember about my dad. He was always working on cars or something like that. Um, We didn't, we, we just didn't do a lot together. That was for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we did stuff together, he took me to the junkyard a few times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking for some part on some car, which I was not interested in. I still am not interested in. I do not care. I'm not a car guy. So do not take Dave to the junkyard. Yeah, please don't. That would <laughs> be a terrible place to take me. Um, my point is there are these moments in my childhood where my dad was intentional about doing something with the 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 point of connecting with me. And one of those things were that over the course of my childhood, he took me to a handful of movies. The very one of the very the effective one the the first couple I remember him taking me to were Goonies. 
He's the one who took me to see Goonies, which is, as I've talked at length about, a very important movie in my life. He has mentioned this a few times. The other movie was Rocky IV. Quattro? Yeah, Rocky IV. And if I'm being honest, I don't know that I had ever seen another Rocky movie in full by that time in my life. Mm. I'm sure that I probably saw bits and pieces of them on television, but I don't think I'd ever sat and watched a Rocky movie. So Rocky four is like my first full immersive experience in the Rocky world. And of course I loved it. I mean, that movie was everything to me for a while. And I can remember a shadow boxing on the way home in the back of the car. As one does <laughs> after watching Rocky. Yeah. Four. You put your hood up and you start punching at the air. And that was the beginning of, just this like we I, I can't really explain it other than to say that in a lot of ways Sylvester Stallone um kind of was an embodiment of the the space uh that my dad occupied in my brain because he was like look my dad was a football player in college which he was when in my lifetime so like he was a big dude like Sylvester Stallone he was buff like Sylvester Stallone when I was like five or six years old I was in the car with my dad and someone we were people from Topeka that are old enough will remember this, uh, but we were quote unquote cruising the boulevard. That's what you did. That sounds fancy. It's back when people cruised, right? And somewhat these dudes uh, threw a beer bottle at the car and it hit the window that I was sitting at, right? It didn't break my window. I was fine, but my dad chased these dudes into a neighborhood and got out to fight them. Three dudes. And, and he beat him up. My dad, I was scared out of my mind. But also, my dad at that moment attained like this Sylvester Stallone superhero type status in my brain. And so what I'm saying is, is because I didn't live with my dad and I didn't know everything there was to know about my dad, that there were pop culture entities that kind of merged with the persona of my dad. And so when I saw things with Sylvester Stallone in them, there was, it, there was a little bit of that that kind of merged with my dad. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? You are. Okay. So watching Rocky movies, watching Rambo movies was, was a big deal for me and just kind of occupied this space. Now my dad doesn't talk like Rambo. It'd be cool if he did. <laughs> or <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. But I just wanted to right off the bat, give you this idea of how pop culture uh, it was so integral in my brain and in my experience. And in that Sylvester Stallone himself was so like monstrous in my childhood brain. I mean, he was just a big deal. I love the Rocky movies. I love the Rambo movies. I just loved everything he was in. I watched demolition man the other night with my daughter, my oldest daughter. I was like, why are you going back and watching this one? <laughs> First of all, because it's amazing. <laughs> I forgot that that was rated R. I did not. Yeah, it's rated R, and it seems like the only reason it is rated R is so they can curse nonstop in that movie. Like Sounds that movie right. is right up there with Big Lebowski in number of curse words dropped. It's it's pretty wild. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. It's and been forever since I've also, seen it. Also, side note. 
I forgot how good Wesley Snipes is in that movie. Um, you mean Blade? Yeah. His charisma level is off the charts in Demolition Man, and he holds his own on screen with someone larger than life, like Sylvester Stallone. He's great. Anyways, um, I'm not saying that to say you should go back and watch Demolition Man. It's probably not worth it, but uh, at least go for the Taco Bell jokes. Now every restaurant is Taco Bell. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Anyways, that's just, I wanted to right off, right off the bat, like kind of put it out there how big Sylvester Stallone is in my pop culture world. So in mine, um, I know I've said this a thousand times, but I'll say it again. Like TNT and TBS just always had marathons. Yeah. And they would have like a Rocky marathon followed by a Rambo marathon. And so like there was first blood and then there was first blood part two. And like, there's just all these bloods happening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so like at this point, Rocky is just, like common knowledge. Everyone knows who Rocky is. Yeah. Everyone's doing Rocky impressions, impersonations. And then like I remember there's brisk iced tea. It's in a can. Um they had commercials and so like some of their commercials had Bruce Lee um like claymation Bruce Lee, but they did a claymation uh, Rocky or Sylvester Stallone. And it's like, this is just common. Everyone knows who this is. Like, you don't even have to have a voice with it. And then, like, all the impressionist, like, comedians, um, like Frank Caliendo, uh, can do a, a Sylvester Stallone voice. And so, like, for me, he's always been larger in life, and he's just always been there. Now, as I got older and started going further back into his films and sometimes accidentally stumbling onto things he was in, um, such as Woody Allen's Bananas from, like, the early 70s, um, I'm like, hey, this is before he was Rocky. This is a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look, there he is. But, um, yeah, no, he's he's just always been there. Yeah. Yeah. I, side note, why was it whenever there was a Rocky marathon on like TBS or uh, TNT, when you happened to find it, it was always in the middle of Rocky five. Oh, come on. <laughs> Sometimes you'd be lucky and get there during like halfway through four. <laughs> and like the best scenario is you get there somewhere near the third, the second uh, act of uh, Rocky three. Then you knew you're like, okay, not going anywhere for about four hours. <laughs> yes. Um, but I can't tell you how many times I've watched Rocky Five, And that movie is ingrained in my head as the last official Rocky movie. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's probably my least favorite Sylvester Stallone anything. And that's saying something. It is. It is saying something. Um, so, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about our thoughts on Sylvester Stallone, his career, his his effect on pop culture. And um, to do this, I, I want to like I want to talk about do you have a favorite Sylvester Stallone movie, Cody? 
Are, is there one you're willing to put up there? I want to ask you if you have a favorite movie, and then I have one about like another question about maybe some of what's your favorite his under the radar movie. So, do you have a favorite movie? Um, you're going to laugh. Yeah, so it's between Rocky Four. No, I wouldn't laugh at that. That's got that's my favorite. And over the top. Okay. Because I'm all about the arm wrestling. I would never make fun <laughs> of love for over the top. Oh. So why Rocky Four? Is it just the one that hits you in, in the right space? Um in the right time. It's so like it's bombastic. And like you got the the loss of Apollo Creed and like I got to to win this not only for my country but for my friend. And yeah. so and then like epic training, epic fight, and then like a great little speech at the end. Yeah. There's something about the the story. That's a story that we love, right? That's a recurring story trope of you lose you lose somebody. Uh, thanks at the hands of some evil, evil, bad guy. And then it, it provides you the fuel you need to defeat the evil. Right. And it's always bombastic. And, and I'm going to echo that Rocky four is probably the Sylvester Sloan movie. I've watched the most mm -hmm. just over and over and over again. And I just loved everything about that movie. Even, even the robot made. Yeah. Even though it was a little weird. There is the relationship Polly has with that robot. Little strange. Sylvester Stallone tried to warn us of AI. <laughs> and we didn't listen. Oh, the AI and the robot maids will take over the world. Uh, so that movie. But um, I want I want to follow this up with. Uh, you've kind of already said it. You're under the radar. Sylvester Stallone favorite movie would be over the top. Is that. Well, I wouldn't call it an under the radar. That one just is like in my upper echelon of Sylvester Stallone. Compared to other Stallone movies, like, uh, over the top is kind of under the radar. You have to know Sylvester Stallone to be like, oh, yeah, I've watched over the top like five times at least. After Rocky Four and First Blood, the first Rambo movie, yeah, the, the Sylvester Stallone movie I may have seen the most. And this might be up there with Tango and Cash, too. <laughs> because Tango and Cash just hits me at the right space at the right time. This Over the Top is a movie I've seen a ton of times. I'm going to tell you, and it hits me in the feels. Because the movie is essentially about a young man who is reconnecting with his father because his parents are separated. And like this whole movie is about him traveling around with his dad for the summer as his dad is truck driving and, and winning arm wrestling tournaments. And again, obviously this hits me in the feels. Yeah. So for me, I connect a little bit with the story just cause not only did my dad, like he was a diesel mechanic that worked on semis, mm -hmm. but my grandfather and like all his siblings they were all truck drivers. So I come yeah. from a family of truck drivers. And I'm like, my family can do this. Side note, I would have never guessed that. Yeah. Listening to Cody, do you, would you <laughs> have ever dreamed that that sentence would have just come out of his mouth? And then my mom's side, it's all farmers. So <laughs> That's a, that's a, around here. That's, that's 
That's a profession that's revered. It is. And so you hear me talk and you hear me talk about the pop culture things I like and you're like, this doesn't fit. That <laughs> fits to me. Um, so yeah, over the top was special. Uh, uh, was special because like, like what I just said about my dad is like, I didn't know him that well because I didn't get to grow up with him. I saw him every other weekend, you know? So the story of this the, in the movie him and his son don't know each other well. Yeah. And that's the whole point is they're getting to know each other and they're bonding over this. And it go, has ups and downs and uh, also goes side by side with him being in um, arm wrestling tournaments as one does. Yes. And then it has also has this great quote. This will be the first of many Sylvester Stallone quotes. Yeah. is like when I turn my hat around, I'll become a different person. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, Nailed dude, that's it. <laughs> yeah. He would literally be in the middle of an arm wrestling match and use his other hand to turn his hat cap around. He'd be arm wrestling Terry Funk, <laughs> and then the let great, me turn the great Terry Funk. Yes, let me turn this hat around. <laughs> now I can beat you, Terry. Terry Funk, by the way, is the original Hollywood wrestler. Forget yes. Hulk Hogan. Terry Funk was a bad guy in a lot of '80s flicks. Um, was he in, um, Roadhouse? Yes. Okay. (laughs) My memory's not failing. (laughs) More Terry. Uh, Terry Funk, uh, was in Roadhouse. He was in Over the Top. He was in a movie called Paradise Alley, which was a Sylvester Stallone early flick. And yeah, so Terry Funk, uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in his own reality show. Um, called the funks <laughs> i don't know if i need that one but <laughs> uh so yeah he was in a, a show called tequila and bonetti which looks like a straight ripoff of turner and hooch yeah <laughs> like literally the poster is a dude and his dog in the same pose uh, i love this he was in rambo three hey he was in rocky five he's done a lot of stuff with sylvester stallone which, you know, we just talked about Tom Cruise and Esai Morales. So that's something that happens in, in, in the industry. Adam Sandler is also a dude who does this where oh, yeah. a lot of his friends populate his movies. Uh, but yeah, Terry Funk is in a lot of those. So my under the radar Sylvester Stallone movies, and there's two I'll list. Okay. Uh, one's, I mean, if you remember... If you know, you know. Um, Ants. Oh, yeah. yeah which yeah, yeah. came out at like the same time as Bugs Life, and I get the two confused. But he was an Ants, and he had a creepy-looking animated ant head. So Ants in a Bugs Life is the first time I remember Hollywood really trying to populate an animated movie with like noticeable voices. Mm-hmm. Like up to that point, you had... Disney had the big cartoon movies, Little Mermaid, stuff like that, but you didn't recognize the voices. They were all voice actors. Bugs Life and Ants is the first time I remember, like, wasn't Woody Allen in one of those? Yeah. The voice in one of those? I think he's in Bugs Life. Yeah. So, like, those two movies, like, it was like they, and then they came out near the same time. We're, like, competing. And, and it was, almost the, the same, same story. It- yeah. <laughs> But yeah, anyways, go on. Um, but the second one is one that has come out within the past year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. It was on Prime. 
Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was based on a graphic novel. Samaritan. Samaritan, yeah. It had a twist. I, I'm like, oh, I didn't see this coming early on. I will say it's a crime that by the time we recorded this, I haven't watched Tulsa King yet because I really like to watch Tulsa King. But I will say that every time Sylvester Sloan does come out with something new like Samaritan, it you all he's sort of synonymous synonymous with like, look, I don't know if it's gonna be good cinema, but I know I'll be entertained. I will. Yeah. Um and I've heard nothing but good things from people who've watched Samaritan. They're always like, Hey, have you watched Samaritan yet? I'm like, no, I haven't had time yet. But people are always complimentary. Yeah. If you liked Rambo, you'll love the expendables. Yeah, and <laughs> I've watched I've watched some of the Expendables movies, and they're ridiculous. They but they're, are. <laughs> but they're escapes. They're meant to be escapes and to just have fun, which kind of like well, what were what 80s movies were. When you're watching the Expendables, you're watching like an exaggerated version of what the 80s movies were like. And I'm here for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's get into how he changed pop culture a little bit. So Sylvester, and I would say to some extent Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, as he those kinda, two are hand in hand. But let's give credit where credit where credit is due. Arnold piggybacks onto Sylvester Stallone. Stallone is the one who changes it with a particular movie, which we'll we'll get to in a little bit. But right now, I just want to talk about the nature of heroes and how that changed in the eighties. So think about the heroes that they had before that time. The Duke. The Duke. John Wayne. Like, that's the one that pops into your head. Now, when you see John Wayne, is he a physical specimen? No. Not in the way we think of it in the 80s, for sure. No. Um, <coughs> He's a big dude. He's he's uh, intimidating and imposing. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but he's not ripped. He doesn't get confused <coughs> with someone that's used the steroids. <laughs> The 80s kind of brings that about, and to a large extent, that is Sylvester Sloan and Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is sort of the age they usher in. But more so, I want to get a little bit deeper. In John Wayne times, when you look at the heroes, who they were, they were often like the police force, you know? Back then, they trusted the police, and not only that, but the police were capable, right? Uh, when John Wayne's the hero and you re- revere people like Andy Griffith, um, if you look at TV shows, there's there's a certain trust of the government and a certain trust of the foundations of our society. But Sly ushers in this different way of the hero, and I'm talking about First Blood in a way. He's the like Rambo is kind of the first anti-hero. Which doesn't last long, by the way. Yeah. They, they turn him into a regular hero pretty quickly. But in First Blood, the reason that is so interesting is because now everything's anti-hero, right? It's the Batman uh, equation. Mm. Like Batman became grittier and tougher and more murderous <laughs> as the years have gone on because he's Batman. That's how we think of Batman. But now everything is like anti-hero. Well, back before, you know, before... Sylvester Stallone, there, there was really no such thing as the anti-hero. The closest you'd get to it would be like, what do we think? Like Clint Eastwood Westerns? Yeah. Um, uh, what was the, there was a, a it was a, a TV show, a series of movies about a cop, Death Wish. 
Oh yeah, remember the de- with Charles Bronson? He might have been close Charles to an anti-hero. Uh, but usually the heroes before Sylvester Stallone in First Blood were all these sort of like foundational establishment kind of characters. But starting with First Blood, he starts this new trend in the 80s where we sh- it, it, it often showed an inept police force military or government, right? Yeah. So you think of uh, uh, how capable 70s cops were. You think of like Starsky and Hutch and Beretta, Kojak, Chips. Like it was always like, oh, the police force is very, very good at what they do. They protect us. Now think of the 80s where the cops are mostly inept and are kind of almost clowns in some cases. And even when the hero is a cop, they're larger than life heroes that the cops need. Otherwise, they'd be floundering, right? Mm -hmm. Like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Where Mel Gibson is a borderline superhero in those movies. Otherwise, the cops would be hopeless. Slash maniac. Even Danny Glover is painted. His partner is painted to be like this old oaf who's constantly. I'm too old for this stuff. You know, like <laughs> he's con- he need you need these like larger than life heroes that are kind of ushered in by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, even Sylvester Stallone did this in, in a movie called Cobra, where he's like a super cop. Die Hard is another great example. Yeah, like where Bruce Willis is a cop, but he's a superhero ish type cop that the cops like the cops are all painted out to be kind of buffoons and even like the 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 government agents in die hard are kind of buffoons right thank god for bruce willis yeah so that's my first point of how sylvester stallone kind of changes the nature of heroes and and ushers in and so like not even the anti-hero yet in the 80s like the anti-hero takes off later but i think the beginning of it is in rambo yeah. Um, but mostly this idea of the superhero-ish type human hero. And for me, I think a big thing that Sylvester Stallone does is kind of solidify and like reinforce the the action hero or action movie genre. Yeah. Because, like, if I go through the pantheon of action movies, um, I really don't know if there's, like, a huge plethora before um, Sylvester Stallone really makes it. Like, you know this person to be an action star. Like, you don't have, like, any real go-to action stars. But now, like... From this generation alone, you not only have Sylvester and Arnold, but then you have Jean-Claude and Steven Seagal trying to piggyback in the early 90s off that, Um, and then them going away like the mist. Um, And then Dolph stays around forever because he's connected to Sylvester. Mm -hmm. Um, Bruce Willis becomes kind of an action star, um, and I mean, you have these people that are just synonymous with, uh, doing action movies In action movies like mission impossible, you know, that what you're going to get basically every movie. And it's something that like, if you like it, great. If you don't, you don't have to go watch it. And you probably don't have to have seen the previous ones to know what's going to happen. In the next one. Yeah. Do you remember playing at Hollywood's? 
I do. <laughs> so the Planet Hollywood was like kind of the answer to the the movie answer to Hard Rock Cafe, what that was to music. And like maybe you've never heard of the Hard Rock Cafe. I don't know. Is that I think those are still a thing. That's a Planet word. Hollywood's not still a thing. Yeah, that went bankrupt. Uh, but Planet Hollywood was started by Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Bruce Willis. The three big action stars. Yeah. And the whole thing was, was it's these theme restaurants that were like, the theme was 80s bombastic hero action movies. Like, mm. that was it. That was That was the thing. So it should tell you just how big in the public consciousness and how much they defined an era very much so but like look bruce willis wouldn't be bruce willis without sylvester Stallone. sly paved the way and to some extent and i'm just going to say this because they did have a thing over the years they had a, a they they competed with each other in this area i would also say that arnold wouldn't be arnold without sylvester Stallone. i think sylvester Stallone is the guy um although arnold did trick Sylvester Stallone into making one of his worst movies by Rotten Tomatoes score. Which which is? Um, let me get back to this t- lovely title because I will butcher it because I confuse it with another movie about a mom. But stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> with one of the Golden the Girls. girls. Yes. Estelle Getty. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, so that's his worst Rotten Tomatoes score movie? It is like a 14%. It was pretty bad. Um, and so Sylvester Sloan said that he thinks that it doesn't work just because like Estelle Getty's too much of a sweetheart. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about, yeah, I had my people leak that I was going to probably take this role. So he came in and sniped it. Uh, but back in those days, we, we did all kinds of crazy things to get ahead in our rivalry. Luckily for us and everyone else, today we root for each other. Thank God, because we sure don't need another stop or my mom will shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that 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 it all their competition kind of informs a lot of this. Because so uh, Arnold came out with Kindergarten Cop. Oh, yeah. Which was a comedic movie, him in a comedic turn. But also, I would say I would probably give the advantage to comedic turns to Arnold Schwarzenegger Mm -hmm. over Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester just doesn't have. I think he got fooled a little bit with Tango and Cash. So Tango and Cash wasn't like a huge box office deal or nothing, but it was a movie that was big in the public consciousness. It was him and Kurt Russell. And there was a lot of comedy in it. It was very 80s in the like one liners and like things like that. The jokes among the action and this will make geek of the round table jackson chauncey happy i actually think kurt russell kind of carries the funny parts in tango and cash sylvester gets a lot of one-liners because he's stallone oh yeah but i wonder if that movie fooled him because he does sylvester stallone does have a run of weird choices in like the early 90s uh oh yeah with some of these more like comedic turns or things you wouldn't expect him in and yeah, it gets him off track for a little bit because he's trying to be funny, and I just don't think he's a funny. He's got that talent in him. He's yeah. not. He's not. He's always entertaining, but they're like that movie. Stop or my mom will shoot. Nah, man, that ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> and even in Tango and Cash, Sylvester Stallone, it's funniest when he's being played as the straight man. It's Kurt Russell who's being like the driver of the comedy. Uh, but anyways. 
So I will say another thing that he does um, that is unique. Um, he writes and directs a lot of his own stuff. Um, so like his directorial debut is a movie called Paradise Alley. I don't, I haven't seen that one, but he directs the best Rockies, Rocky two, Rocky three and Rocky four. Yeah. And if you like Balboa, he directed that, but I don't know how that one exists because Rocky five still exists. We would, we would be failing to talk about his legacy if we didn't bring up that he's a great writer. Oh yeah. He wrote Rocky. He did. He wrote a lot of these things he's in and he's a director too. And he's just very good at putting together and directing and putting on screen, very human stories that often are in mythic framework. Right? So Rocky's like a mythical character, but the stories inside of Rocky are very human mm -hmm. um, and very vulnerable in a lot of ways, which I always appreciated and but didn't really understand until I got older and could see it that like Rocky, every Rocky movie deals with weakness. It does his weakness. Like he's always telling this story of something like he's very good. What uh, Sylvester Stallone is very good at as a writer is taking the, the troubles and problems he's having in his life currently and translating them to a parable, almost a story. Um, and, and so we should definitely mention how good he is at that. Yeah, I mean, he wrote the screenplay for first blood wrote all of, although that is based on existing an existing yes. book, but he did change quite a bit. He did. Um, he also wrote the screenplay for over the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, man. It's great. He's he's prolific. He's prolific. Um, we've already touched on this, but we should mention that something he definitively changed, and this is where we would bring Arnold Schwarzenegger back into this too, but um, when Rocky and Rocky II come out, uh, that's the 70s. And he's a big dude. Like, like if you go back and watch Rocky, he's a big dude. He's got some muscles, but he's kind of doughy looking almost compared to what he'll end up looking like. Yeah. He, his his jaw's not chiseled, um, mm -hmm. but at the beginning of the 80s, we hit this, like, fitness craze, and Sly is into it, right? This dude, like, dedicates his life to being buff, to being in shape. To and, looking like me. And, dude, by the time he shows up in Rocky Three, they actually make a joke of it in Rocky Three. Like, Polly says something about how he changed his look. He did have a okay, so true story. He did have some sort of plastic surgery because uh, the doctor, when he was born, injured his Sylvester Stallone's face with the forceps. They used to use forceps. Oh, back then, I guess. And so he had like some nerve damage on his face that resulted in the way he talked and the way his mouth looked. Did you know that? Now we know why he talks the way he talks, and Frank Stallone. Did not talk that way. Yeah. So if he looks a little different in Rocky Three, that's part of it too, that they make a joke out of it. Um, but mostly you notice in Rocky Three how he has remade his body. Mm -hmm. And this is an important turning point in heroes because up to this point, your big heroes are guys like John Wayne. Clint Eastwood is like the pinnacle of toughness for a while. Oh, yeah. And he's a string beam. He is. Um, Charles Bronson, we mentioned him. That, like, 
tough guys before the 80s were not defined by their muscles. And then something happens, and that something is Sylvester Stallone and Rocky. And to another extent, Rambo. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, as we said, piggybacks. And these guys are just in an arms race. And I'm not talking about missiles. I'm talking about biceps, y'all. Oh, yeah. They are larger-than-life, buff human beings. And that changes also changes the face of heroes and including like not just movies and television but pro wrestling looking at you hulk hogan yeah you and your 24 inch pythons so pro wrestling gets big in the 80s um and they get bigger because if you look at pro wrestlers before that um if you look at hulk hogan before like i mean he's a big dude but like he's not like bulging biceps and triceps and abs. He's kind of doughy. We'd be foolish too if we didn't mention that steroids get huge in the 80s at the same time. This is all happening concurrently. And so that's running rampant, especially in the wrestling world. Mm-hmm. Because because literally this meant superstardom. Like for you to transform your body in this way, um, and, and it's probably running rampant in sports, well, who is the the Matusak? Doesn't he? No, 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 no. Who is the who is the Raider? There's an Oakland Raider, Lyle Alzado. Do you remember him? No. Okay, so Lyle Alzado is larger than life personality for the Oakland Raiders, and he's the first guy I remember who dies. Basically, they they blame it on kind of over ridiculous steroid use. Oh, and he like talks about it near the end of his life when he's like a shell of himself. And he's fading away. Um, he talks about the steroids a lot. And so I remember that kind of entering the public consciousness sometime around when when he was passing away. But good and bad, you have to look at Sylvester Stallone and to a smaller extent Arnold Schwarzenegger because he kind of piggybacks that they remake the way we see heroes and like good or bad, it's this bombastic, you know, muscular version that just didn't exist before this. Oh, yeah. A lot of the things, a lot of the way we see superheroes. Like, think about the way Batman looked in the TV show before the 80s. Adam West is not a physical specimen. He is not. Like, literally, this changed so much in culture. Just Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger's buffness. I mean, literally, now we look at, so one of your criticisms of uh, the Batman with Robert Pattinson was, well, he doesn't look like a hero. Yeah, right. And and listen, I will fully admit the eighties have have filtered the way I see heroes. Like, no longer are they slender and fit. They are now buff and ripped. Yeah, I, I admit that. Sure, the eighties have a lot of influence on the way I see heroes. Ugh. Yeah. Do you have anything else? Because I have one more thing that I want to talk about. Um, just a random factoid that he oh. wrote uh, the movie Homefront, which my wife has made me watch like 15 times, um, starring the one J- Jason Statham and James Franco. Um, oh, wow. And Winona Ryder. I forgot Winona was in it. Um, but yes, um, and Jason Statham owes some money to... Sylvester Stallone because now he's an action star and just 
mm-hmm. gets cast in all the action movies ever. And it's been in a lot of the Expendables movies. Mm-hmm. So him and Sylvester have hooked up in, a few in, times in, in the recent era. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, because this is, if you can pinpoint one movie that changes the most about pop culture, I would argue that it's not Rocky. Judge Dredd. No, it is not Judge Dredd. Although Judge Dredd almost single-handedly kills comic book movies when it comes out. I was going to say, so the thing is with Sylvester, he's been in quite a few comic mm-hmm. book movies. Yeah. Including Judge Dredd. <laughs> Judge Dredd is like an under-the-radar cult favorite in comic books. Mm-hmm. And when that movie comes out, oh boy. Oh, but he almost killed it. He almost killed it. But then they they get the dude who's in the boys now to do another Judge Dredd movie. And that one's better. Because, uh, like, you know, like, here's the problem with Sylvester Stallone when it's not him doing the writing. When it's not Sylvester Stallone doing the writing, then Sylvester Stallone's character is always Sylvester Stallone. Right. Mm. When Sylvester Stallone's writing, he can be Rocky. He can be Rambo. And these they have like intricate things that are just about that character. Uh, but when anyone else is writing a Sylvester Stallone movie, he always ends up just being Sylvester Stallone. Um, loved him in the Suicide Squad. King Shark. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to take back what I just said because James Gunn does a good job of using him because he gets bit parts in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, yep. and including the most recent one. Where he's uh he's not just Sylvester Sloan. So I'm gonna take that back just I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little bit of credit to James Gunn there. Jimmy Gunn. But James Gunn is a talented writer. Nobody would uh, dispute that. Um, but I wanna talk about First Blood. First Blood is an amazing movie. And if you'd just seen the later Rambo movies and you'd never seen First Blood, you probably wouldn't understand because First Blood is not a Rambo movie. It is the first movie where we're introduced to Rambo. Yes. But this is a serious movie that I'm surprised didn't win more awards. Um, Essentially, the movie is about how America deals with Vietnam in their own conscience. Um, It's the story about a drifter, basically, a Vietnam vet. who's He's a Green Beret, and he's, he's just kind of passing through this small town. And the sheriff, who's a little overzealous, is kind of representative of the minds of a lot of Americans. You know, for as rah-rah as we are about the military in our country and about how we should support the military, that was a different time. And a lot of the guys that came back from Vietnam did not find a welcoming citizenry when they came back from Vietnam. So they're coming back with PTSD and all the things you'd come back with from with war. Um, But America didn't know how to deal well with loss, first of all. And we're going through that time during Vietnam of like really trying to figure out what in our, how our conscience deals with war. Like instead of it being romanticized and rah, rah, like, Hey, people die. Yeah. And so all this is going on and it makes for this very bad environment where we forget that the soldiers that were coming back from Vietnam were human too. And so it it results in a very bad situation for a lot of those veterans that are coming back. So this movie kind of plays on that. Uh, So Sylvester is John Rambo. He's very, so like in movies after this, he's just Rambo. But in this movie, he's very human. He's John Rambo. He's a Vietnam vet. He's a drifter. Um, he, he, he's clearly struggling. 
he's going through this town. He's looking for something to eat. He's just passing through. The sheriff kicks him out and is just kind of over the top, over overzealous with him. How dare you, Brian Dennehy? Yeah, Brian Dennehy's great in that movie, by the way. I mean, just note perfect for that guy. For a guy who's a little too prideful about his station, mm-hmm. about how who and what he is. He's just a little, he thinks of himself a little too high. And But he also represents this attitude in America about the returning veterans uh, from Vietnam. And what happens is, is he comes back into town just to kind of spite the sheriff because John Rambo is a proud man. And it results in this kind of ever escalating conflict where they, he arrests them, he takes them in, he, he didn't really do anything wrong. And, um, they, it just results in this, uh, a few things, a few accidents happen and it just is a spark to this conflict where he ends up, they end up chasing him through the mountains of Oregon. That was a rookie mistake. And a lot of them get hurt. Um, and, and looking at you, David Caruso, yeah, David Caruso, uh, does get hurt in this movie. A young David Caruso too. I always forget about that until I watch the movie. I'm like, Hey, it's David Caruso. Uh, but it's a great movie. It's it's a fantastic movie that has something to say. I think that was the part that I loved the most. Is and again, we should we should recognize Stallone's writing here because he writes a movie that has something to say and it's on this deep level and it's subtle. It's not smacking you over the head most of the time. Uh, but when he comes back for Rambo two, all of that is kind of gone. And that's the that is a formula for the '80s, where he kind of turns into this larger than life hero. They he's sent back to Vietnam, and it's almost like we want to cleanse our palate of Vietnam. So in Rambo Two, he goes back to Vietnam to finally win the war. Right? Someone had to. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Rambo Three, he goes to Afghanistan to fight the Russians. Right? So he becomes kind of like this character, but. I just want to point out that First Blood, Rambo is the first huge anti-hero. I think all this anti-hero culture we have now, you can trace back to First Blood. Um, in 1985, after so after First Blood comes out, 1985 is, is the year it all starts turning. Rambo 2 and Rocky 4 both come out in 1985. Fundamentally changes the nature of hero movies. And if you don't believe me, Think about Rambo 2 and Rocky 4. Think about those characters. Here are the movies that came out in the next, like, 18 months after those movies. You ready for this? I'm ready. Big Trouble in Little China, Top Gun, Cobra, Predator, The Running Man, Lethal Weapon. These are all, like, those kind of bombastic hero franchises and movies. And it really just, Sylvester Stallone... And in particular, First Blood, and to a lesser extent, I think Rocky, changes the nature of heroes and those movies that we like to see, starting with, I think, First Blood just changes so much. And Rambo himself changes as a character, changes the nature of heroes. I do love those two franchises, so. Yeah. I I mean, like, look, the Rambo movies were all ridiculous. They are. But honestly, if you have never seen First Blood, please go watch First Blood. It's amazing. I, every time I watch it, I, I probably watch it once every five years or so. 
I'll just say, hey, you know what? I haven't watched First Blood in a while. I'll go back and watch it, and I'm just flabbergasted again and again on how deep it is and how meaningful it is while being the precursor to like mindless 80s action because it is that Mm -hmm. it's like it is that movie but also there's this really deep thing it's saying and 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 after that it kind of loses that right yeah you don't really see that again it's all action all the time, yeah. baby. It kind of devolves <laughs> into a mindless action sense. And it's like, look, it's not that it wasn't great. I liked the Rainbow. I liked Predator. There's something fun about those movies. I liked Commando with Arnold. I like the Lethal Weapon movies are some of my favorites. Oh yeah. But they're they're not quite as deep. They're not quite as deep. And um First Blood if there was one Sylvester Stallone movie, I would want you guys to watch the, our, our listeners. It would be first blood. I'll second that great movie. Anything else you want to say about our guy, Sylvester Stallone? He has a brother. He does. He sang a song once. Frank. Frank. Yeah. He had a hit. I don't uh, know how. I don't know. <laughs> it's on the same level of as Eddie Murphy's. Uh, I want to party. My girl wants to party all the time. Um, which that one's a banger as the kids say, <laughs> it still slaps. It is definitely a banger. Um, before we go, are there any quotes you would like me to, to reenact? Well, you've done the over the top quote. Um, let's see. I did have one. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, since we just talked over or not over the top, but Rambo. First Blood. They drew First Blood. Can oh, you do that oh, one? Okay, okay. Hold on. Let me let me find the quote. They drew First Blood. Okay, here we go. I'm 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 getting I'm drawing it up here. <clears throat> All right. Do you want to be Colonel Troutman? <laughs> I don't have the lines in front of me. All right. All right. All right. This is all you. Okay. Whew. You I got find, this. Uh, do I got it? Okay. You got this. Uh, oh, man. IMDB. It's it's hard to find the quote here because, you know, it's all over the place. Okay, here it is. Troutman. It's good to hear your voice, Johnny. It's been a long time. Look, John, you've done some damage here. They don't want any more trouble. That's why I've come. want to come in there and fly you the H out. Just you and me. We'll work this thing out together. Is that fair enough? Where did you come from, sir? Bragg, I tried to get in touch with you, but the guys in Bragg never knew where to find you. You knew I've been spending much time there lately. They got me down in D.C. I'm shining a seat with my, he says a naughty word. <laughs> I wish I was back in Bragg now. That was bad. I can do better than that. Okay, let me, let me regroup. Uh, we'll talk about that when you come in. I can't do that, sir. Look, John, we can't have you running around here killing friendly civilians. There are no friendly civilians. But I'm your friend, Johnny. I was there with you knee-deep in all that blood and guts. I covered your... Bad word. More than once. Seems like bailing you out of trouble's got to be a lifetime achievement for me. I love the Colonel Troutman, by the way. <laughs> the, guy, the actor that plays him, plays him with like this confidence. It's just great. There wouldn't be no trouble except for that king... Naughty word, cop. All I wanted was something to eat, but the man kept pushing, sir. Well, you did some pushing of your own, John. They drew first blood, not me. Scene! 
Oscar. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very um, much. And then I only have one more. Well, okay, another one. What uh, are, one more. This is Marion Cobra Cabretti. Oh boy, saying you're a disease. I'm the cure. <laughs> it's been so long since I have seen this movie. This is not going to be good. Uh, okay. Let me dial this up here. <laughs> okay, here we go. Ready? You're a disease. Now I'm the cure. Corbetti, do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little one. <laughs> See? <laughs> Another Oscar. <laughs> Cobra's underrated. EGOT. <laughs> give Dave just give me the, EGOT. my EGOT. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we had fun. I hope you had fun with a new type of episode. We'd like to do some more Legends episode. If you have an idea of who we should do Legends episodes about, someone who, someone who changed, someone or something, I suppose. It doesn't have to be a person. Something that changed the fabric of pop culture as we know it. IMAX. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Give us ideas on what we could do Legends show for you if you like the format of this show. We plan on doing some more uh as always make sure you're subscribed to the pod uh give us a review if you haven't if your format or where you're listening gives you that option that helps us out immensely and also follow the social media pages we are growing our social media following is growing uh, especially on facebook so make sure and follow us and then share our posts share our podcast when we post the social media posts about the episodes dropping share those and tell your friends why you like our pod that helps us as well please let's make the community bigger and let's keep doing more things and thank you thank you so much we'll see you next time Pop culture